Good morning. As we come to our, our time in a, a totally amazing passage of John's Gospel, let's pray. Our Heavenly, Heavenly Lord, we ask you to give us eyes so we can see Jesus Christ as the light of the world who shines in the darkness, illuminating both our minds and our hearts so that we would believe in the Son of Man and we would give glory to God and we would see that light in our brothers and sisters in our church irrespective of their ability. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Thank you. Uh, As you know, I like to begin all talks and sermons with recapitulation. So last week, I said... uh, I said I had two main points from the sermon, see if you can remember it. I said, disabled lives are worth living. And secondly, disabled lives are worth discipling. Excellent. We have retained knowledge, therefore we can proceed to the next point. (laughs) Well, when we come across the story of of John chapter 9, it's one of those passages where you've got this sort of amalgamation of themes. You've got Jesus as the light of the world. You've got, you've got spiritual blindness, real blindness. You've got faith and you've got healing. Now, as you can imagine, uh, this passage is a favorite text of faith healers. To get healed, you just need to have the right amount of faith, the right intensity of faith, the right degree of faith. And if you're unable to get healed, then obviously it's some sort of deficiency or some sort of impairment in your faith. I'm reminded of a story of there was a, there was a somewhat uh, old lady who was quite frail and someone came up to her and said, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be sick so often. To which this little old lady got her walking stick lifted up and went crack right in the kneecaps and said, if you had more faith, that wouldn't hurt as much. <laughs> but this passage is not about faith healing. This passage is, is not simply like if you have enough faith, you can, you can claim it and, and God will heal you. This faith, the story is really a parable about the nature of faith. And even the blind can have real faith. You see, the story starts out with this, this man who's born blind. He's vulnerable. He's powerless. He's, he's destitute. He's led in the city. All he can do is, is, is beg. And the disciples' question is, well, I mean, whose fault is this? They want to play the blame game. Uh, To what what extent is this this man or someone else culpable for what has happened to him? They want to know who is it. Is it it karma? Is it what goes around? And and Jesus' response is, you know, that's that's, that's the wrong issue. This man's state is, is here because this is the opportunity, this is the occasion in which God's glory, God's works, are going to be manifested. And we see that, that, that Jesus, somewhat uh, peculiarly, in a strange way, I mean, if you were going to make up stories about Jesus healing someone, this is probably not the one you would tell. Jesus getting some mud, saliva, rubbing in his eyes, telling him to go down to the pool of Siloam and washing there. And irrespective of how strange it strikes us, uh, it's effective. The man is able to see. 
The point which I think John is making here, I mean, the, the debate about, you know, is, is sickness due to sin or culpability, says what we have here is Jesus as the light of the world and his light even shines so brightly, so intently, so powerfully that it will literally open the eyes of the blind. So why was this man born blind? It wasn't because of his sin or the sin of his parents. It was so the works of God would be shown. Works that will shine and be manifested and will radiate like a lighthouse in the darkness because a time is coming when it will be night and will be dark. While Jesus is there, they have the light of the world with them where the blind are healed where the lame walk. But the time is coming where there will be night where Jesus is no longer with his people doing that. Why this man? Because of God's glory. The second thing we find as we come along the story is that real blindness is spiritual. John's gospel is filled with ironies where people turn out to be wiser than they mean, or where people say things that at one level mean one thing, but also means another thing. So, for example, when Caiaphas prophesies that Jesus must die for the nation, it functions on two levels. And as we come across this story, we see the Pharisees are are not excited that a man who is, who is blind who can now see. They're not rejoicing, they're not happy for him, but rather they take offense over the fact that this happened on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are all up in his business, not rejoicing with him. Their main concern, the main thing they take away, is that this should not have happened on the Sabbath. They consider themselves the gatekeepers of true piety and righteousness, the proper way to walk before God. And then number one takeaway is this was done on the wrong day in the wrong hours. Therefore, in their mind, in their way of thinking, the way they, they divide things up in their own little theological universe, Jesus must be a sinner because he transgresses the very law of God which God has given to govern and regulate the lives of God's people. Therefore, he cannot possibly be from God. And so the Pharisees assume, obviously, if, 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 he, if he's not from God, then he can't really be healed. So they, they somewhat chastise this man, like, were you really blind? Yes. Were you really, really blind? Yes. Were you really, really, yes. You can, you can, you can, you can see the, the drama building. It's somewhat comical asking, was he really blind? He was, and they don't believe him. Well, bring his parents in. Was your son really blind? <laughs> they, they, just, they do not have a category in their head for a person who works on the Sabbath and God blesses their work. So they want to explore every other possibility. You know, this can't be the case because this this man can't be from God because he doesn't play by our rules. He doesn't make sense in our theological galaxy, assuming, of course, that their theological galaxy is the only one there is. And they've got all the constellations lined up. God, law, Sabbath, healing, Moses, Torah. They know how everything lines up. They think they can see it clearly, but they can't. The blind man is, is very emphatic, well, irrespective of who you think Jesus is. You know, whether you think he's a sinner or not, whether you think he broke the Sabbath or not. I was blind and now I see. 
The evidence speaks for, for himself. And yet the Pharisees want to make this a debate of Jesus versus Moses. Either you follow the way of Moses and the, the tradition, the halakha, as the Pharisees understand it, or you put yourself outside the tribe, outside the group, outside the covenant people. The blind man's wisdom is very clear, though. He says, you know, you know only um, healing the, the, the blind is not an easy thing to do. This is not something you dream up on a Friday afternoon. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, in the Psalms, healing the blind is something that only God can do. He alone has the power to pierce the darkness, to make the lame walk, to, to make the blind see, make the mute speak. This is out of the ordinary. This is not contrived or, or manufactured. It's, it's not a scam. He was really blind, and he really sees. And yet... The Pharisees cannot see it. Remember the story started about blindness and culpability. Halfway through the story, we see there is a type of blindness for which people are culpable. It's a spiritual blindness to who Jesus Christ is. For that, they are culpable. That is the irony of the story. But if Jesus was not from God, he could do nothing. I mean, the Pharisees then are pretty much left with a kind of genetic fallacy. You know, we don't like Jesus, we don't like his mission, his teaching, what he stands for, therefore this couldn't happen. And they get pretty much physically intimidating. This poor man who's literally seeing for the first time, and the first thing he's seeing is a sort of gaggle of people pressing him about whether he is blind and what his relationship to Jesus is. Are you now or have you ever been a follower of Jesus of Nazareth? And you go, I don't know who the guy is, I just know I can see. That's his point. But the Pharisees don't see it. And the fa- but the blind man then presses them. He says, well, look, we, we know that God doesn't listen to anyone. But the fact that I can see, which is a hard thing, must mean that Jesus is a somebody. And he, t- he prosecutes the logic that the Pharisees themselves cannot See, and for that he's chastised and said, Surely you were a sinner from birth. It's a deeply invective language. Uh, then we get the third phase of the story uh, in verses 35 to 41, which uh, l- l- let, me, let me read it to you. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believed, I believe, and he worshipped him. Uh, the poor blind man is alienated. Not only was he a social outcast because of his blindness, now he's a social outcast because he's on the wrong side of the religious leaders who are the sort of, you know, de facto gatekeepers of what is holy, righteous, and orthodox within Judaism. And Jesus seeks him out to find him. Jesus seeks him out again. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Oh boy. If there is one Christological title that I think is the hardest to unpack in the Gospels, it is the Son of Man. It is the most complex and difficult one, but let me give you it in one minute. 
The Son of Man can mean, firstly, a, a human being, you know. What is man that you are mindful of him of? The Son of Man that you should care for him. It just means a, a human being in generic sense. It can also mean the human being, the, 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 the humanity that reigns on God's behalf that you find somewhere like Daniel 7, you know, the one like a Son of Man. But in Aramaic, it can also be a circumlocution, a way of saying I or someone in my position. What I find accented here is Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the human being who God has sent. And he is there to mediate before other human beings and to bring them into a relationship with God. In the fourth gospel, the Son of Man is then a title for Jesus as revealer, mediator, reconciler, and judge. He asked the man, do you believe in this Son of Man, the one who is going to do that, who is going to bring God's light and revelation and salvation? And then the man is king. He wants to believe. He answers, yes. I believe in the Son of Man. Jesus identifies himself as that Son. And then we see his response, he worshipped him. Finding the source of his healing, his wholeness, the one who brought him that light in the darkness, he's keen to worship, prostrating himself. Now we can see that the blind man, he effectively goes through four different stages. He goes through, first of all, believing. Jesus is the source of life. He brings wholeness. He brings, he brings purpose, deliverance. He worshiped Jesus. He identifies him as one to be praised, adored, and indeed proclaimed. And seeing, he sees Jesus as sent from God. Big theme in the fourth gospel. Jesus is sent from God, sees his neediness before God, and is Jesus as the one who can bring it. And above all, he understands his own place within the story of God's glory. How his own affliction serves to bring a greater purpose. And that is the works of God would be seen. Uh, the man born blind is one of the many witnesses in the gospel. And, he, and in the story, he proves to be, in fact, what we might call an ideal disciple in the story. Uh, I mean, there's many signs, there's many witnesses in the gospel of John. But it's not just his healing, which is one of the signs. I think it is his faith too. Unlike the crowds, unlike the Pharisees, he sees both physically and spiritually, he believes, he worships, and he gives glory to God. He recognizes Jesus is from God. He is the light that has been sent to the world. In many ways, the man born blind, the story in chapter 9, proves what is said in the prologue to the gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This story, I think, speaks to us in in many ways. It shows us, I've been repeating, uh, God brings light in the darkness. He, He does heal, and I believe God can and still does heal people. But for those of us who live in what John calls the night, after Jesus has been taken out of the world, such things may be less prevalent. We do not have Jesus with us. We live in the night where there is and continues to to be disability and hardship and sickness and disease. And we struggle with them because we live in the not yet, waiting for that great hour 
that is not just is and will yet be. And in that time we have other men and women born blind and yet they are still with us. How do we lead them to see? How can they see in ways we cannot? There is a great tradition of men and women with various afflictions and disabilities ministering, particularly those with, the, with blindness. And yet their ministries have gone on and proved to be powerful and effective. We could name several people. One of my uh, favorites, well, there's a, there was a priest up there with a, uh, a Catholic priest who was blind. One of them I read about was George Matheson. He was a uh, Glaswegian preacher, uh, theologian. Uh, he was uh, clinically blind. Uh, and yet he had a very vibrant ministry in Scotland, even preached to the Queen at Balmoral. The Queen loved his sermon on Job so much, she even demanded that it be published. And he held several university appointments, becoming a very well-known and respected theologian, despite being blind. He wrote a, a great hymn as well, uh, and one of the refrains I think is particularly memorable. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promises not in vain that morn shall tearless be. Some of those words are very poignant. I mean, there's no grand triumphalism. You know, it's, just, it's, it's as if we're already in heaven. Everything's, you know, great, fantastic. That joy that seeks me in the pain. Uh, people with disability who minister know what it's like to have the odds already stacked against them. They know that melancholy can be normal. They know what it's like to be treated differently. And yet, what I think they show us above all, their th- all things is that in their weakness, God's great power is at work. You know, it's, it's one thing for a fully able person to uh, achieve something great or uh, amazing, but it, it, again, it's all the more amazing if the person has some problems with ableness because it's God's grace, God's power is all the more magnified through them. Probably another good example of, of someone for whom this story of, of John 9 was uh, very uh, important uh, in their own spiritual journey was Nick, oh, I've tried to pronounce it, Vulajic? Am I saying that right? I have no idea. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a great short little video about Nick telling his story and uh, how John 9 was really the, the tipping point that changed his own perspective from feeling defeatist and miserable to realizing God really could use him. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why God I was born this way. Uh, He answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. (laughs) And no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on, and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, 
Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear. No one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it. It changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power. It was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. That was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide man. You don't know what God can do with your broken pieces until you give God the broken pieces. across 44 countries on six continents, from university campuses, 40,000 students in China, to India, where we're talking to set slaves, to crowds in the jungle of India, 110,000 people, down to Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia, to speaking at congresses of nations like Colombia and Costa Rica, where you see the leaders of that nation commit that country to the Lord Jesus to Korea and speaking to the next generation about depression and suicide and to Eastern Europe where we did Serbia, Slovenia and Croatia. Then doors in the Middle East, the message of hope was spread throughout the whole Arab world. That is God. And we know we just know. Uh, it's an amazing story uh, that all began with John chapter 9. I'd like to finish in a uh, a prayer of sorts. God of compassion, in Jesus Christ, you cared for those who were blind or deaf, crippled or slow to learn. Though all of us need help, give special care to those who are disabled, particularly those we name in our hearts now. By our concern, may they know the love you have for them, and come to trust you through Jesus Christ, who came to save all. Amen.